The Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, and today we're going to be observing, we are observing, uh, the Feast of the Epiphany, which was yesterday. And this is the Feast of the Manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles. That is to the nations as represented by the Magi, who were not Jews, they were not Israelites, but they were Gentiles. The beginning of today's collect, O God, who by the leading of a star didst manifest thy only begotten Son to the peoples of the earth. The word epiphany means manifestation or appearance. And in a biblical context, a religious context, an epiphany is a manifestation of God, which is a theophany. And the word theophany is a compound word, theos, meaning God, and phanane, to show. God and to show. So said crudely, a theophany is when God shows up. God has not hidden himself. God is not hiding himself. He has made himself known definitively and supremely in and through his son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, the unseeable is seen. The invisible image of God is beheld. The intangible is grasped. The Apostle John writes in his first epistle this of Jesus Christ. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. In these last days, and we've been in the last days since Pentecost, in these last days, God has spoken and revealed himself in and through Jesus. At the visitation of the Magi, at Jesus' baptism. So an interesting thing is that In the West, January 6th, the Feast of the Epiphany, is focused, as you could tell, on the visitation of the Magi. But in the East, the Feast of the Epiphany, it's actually called the Theophany, is focused on the baptism of Jesus. And there's actually a cool thing if you happen to be in Prague on Epiphany, if you just, you know, in the neighborhood... They bring both east and west together because three men will put on crowns to the three kings, the magi, and they will jump into the river there in Prague. And so they're bringing together the baptism of Jesus and the visitation of the magi, which I think is pretty cool. God has revealed himself in and through Jesus at the visitation of the magi, again at Jesus' baptism, through Jesus' healings, his exorcisms, the signs and wonders which he performed during his earthly sojourn and at the transfiguration. God in man made manifest, as the hymn says. 
And as is my want uh, as of late, I want to commend the hymnody of the church to you for reflection and meditation. Hymn 135, that was our processional hymn, Songs of Thankfulness and Praise, is about as good as it gets in terms of summing up the season of Epiphany Tide. It gets all the themes in there. But for the rest of our time this morning, I want to focus in on the visitation of the Magi and what it reveals to us about God, what it manifests about him, and how it functions for us as an invitation to worship and to walk in the light. We just had Christmas. The shepherds, presumably who were Jewish, were keeping watch over their flocks by night, and they come and worship Jesus the very night that he was born. But sometime later, the Magi come. Uh, Estimates are all over the place. It could have been as little as a couple weeks. It could have been as much as two years. Because they come not to a cave, not to a stable, but they come to a house in Bethlehem to worship the Christ child. And yes, they worshiped him. Listen again, this is amazing. Matthew 2, uh, verse 11. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. The Greek word, we're getting a lot of, school didn't start back yet, but here we are. The Greek word proskuneo, rendered in the King James Version of the Bible, for example, as the word worship, it occurs 64 times in the New Testament. And interestingly, it's the same word that's used in John chapter 4, where Jesus says, God is spirit, and they that worship him, proskuneo, worship him in spirit and in truth. So that the Magi worship Jesus, and the way in which they worship him, namely the gifts that they offer, reveal the person and work of the one whom they worship. The gifts that they brought were not arbitrary. It's not just what was two-day shipping on Amazon. Oh, this is nice. This is expensive. They're imbued with meaning. Told you a few weeks ago, my mind's mush right now, so I can't remember exactly when, but St. Irenaeus of Lyon I mentioned that he was a disciple of Polycarp, who was a martyr, who was a disciple of the Apostle John. So this is very early in Christian history. He writes this. He says, the gifts of the Magi signify the mystery of Christ incarnate. Gold, a symbol of royalty, represents the kingship of Jesus. Frankincense, used in the worship of God, points to his divinity. And myrrh, a burial ointment, signifies the humanity of Christ, especially in his passion and death. So the offering of these gifts by the Magi is a revelation of the person and work of Jesus, his kingship, his divinity, his humanity, his redeeming and sanctifying death by which our sins are forgiven and death is conquered. And it's also, I would contend, a call to join the Magi in the adoration of Jesus, offering unto him gold, frankincense, 
and myrrh. To offer the Christ child gold is to acknowledge in word and deed ever and always his lordship, his kingship. To offer him gold is to walk faithfully before him, to offer to God in response to our grace, our bodies, our whole selves as living sacrifices. St. Peter in his writing speaks of a faith of one that has endured, the faith of one that has endured as more precious than gold. Gold is not destroyed by fire, but refined by it. And our faith is refined, it's strengthened, purified by the fire of trials, of temptations, of difficulties, but also by the fire of the Spirit, the transforming fire of the Spirit, for our God is a consuming fire, that in the life of the church, through prayer and the, med- the reading and meditation upon Scripture and fellowship with one another and participation in the sacramental life, the Spirit transforms us. The dross, the impurities of our lights and our heart are burnt off. We are to offer him gold. To offer Christ frankincense is, at one level, to actually offer incense. It's not just symbolic. Malachi 1.11, which... I like to refer to it as uh, the John 3.16 of uh, Eucharistic theology. It's an Old Testament prophecy about the worship of the church and the worship of Christ in and through the Eucharist. And it says, from the rising of the sun, and this is epiphanous as well, because the scope is out to the whole world. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, so all the time. My name shall be great among the nations, and incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So we do this in the worship of the church, and incense also denotes, just because something symbolizes something, that doesn't mean it's a bare symbol. There can be a symbol of something that also participates and represents the reality to which it points. Incense denotes the presence of God. If you remember when Solomon's temple was consecrated, couldn't even see the smoke filled the temple. Incense denotes prayer. Psalm 141, often said at the beginning of evening prayer, let my prayer be set forth in thy sight as the incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And there's a relationship between the presence of God and the prayers of God's people because prayer in large part is learning to be in the presence of God. It's practicing the presence of God. Our liturgical prayer, our formal prayer, our petition, one of the things that it does is it enables us and trains us that we can pray without ceasing. It's what's called habitual recollection. That no matter what we're doing, we could be doing the dishes, we could be working at work, we could be driving on I-4, God forbid, that we're aware of the presence of God, that he's watching us, that he's with us, 
that he's making himself known in the world around us and the human beings with whom we have contact, contact, and that we're consciously offering as best we can, no matter what we do in word and deed to his praise and to his glory. To offer the Lord myrrh is to, as St. Paul says, put to death what is earthly in you. It's to walk in the identity of the baptized, to lay aside the sin from which you were redeemed, to which you have died, and to put on Christ with whom you are seated in heavenly places. To offer the Lord myrrh is to engage in repentance and mortification, to recognize in heart, soul, mind, and strength that you have been crucified and risen with the crucified and risen one, that you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is central to the baptismal covenant. This idea that in baptism we die with Christ. That one life ends and a new life begins. That in it we are born from above. Let us offer Jesus gold. Let us offer him frankincense. Let us offer him myrrh. And let us with the Magi worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And let us say with them that we have seen his star and that we have come to worship him. Brothers and sisters, God has made himself known. God has not hidden himself. And what is more, God is not hiding now. In our modern materialist world where we're so disconnected, I mean, just from the creation, just from, I'm not being a Luddite, but just from the way that we live is very different than how most of human beings have lived. It can seem like God is absent. That the enchantment of the world of God's world is gone. But the very world in which we live is a theophany. It's an appearance. It's a manifestation of God. That's not pantheism. I'm not saying God's that tree out there. But what does Scripture say? The heavens declare the glory of God. The very creation bears witness to and manifests God's presence in the world. Yes, he is over and above us. He is other. He is transcendent. But he's also radically present and imminent. He's God with us. He is Emmanuel. The wise men, the apostles, uh, they were there when God showed up. And they bear witness to this so that we can recognize the manifestation of God in our lives. That our eyes, so that our eyes can be open to the reality of God in our midst. Again, John's first letter in which he speaks of the manifestation of Christ. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. 
And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You get that? He doesn't say, I'm writing this letter so you guys can just know what an incredible experience we had. Good for us. Too bad you weren't born 2,000 years ago. No, writing to you so that you can have fellowship with us. And by the way, the church has fellowship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're being invited into the life which we encountered in Jesus Christ. I began this sermon as one does with etymology. It's an attention grabber. Uh, with the defining of terms, and I'm going to end with it as well. In modern parlance, in everyday conversation, the word epiphany, people probably aren't thinking of the magi or the baptism of Jesus, but it can refer to a moment of clarity or a grand realization or a turning point. God has made himself known and he continues to make himself known in creation and scripture and the life of the church in human beings created in his image but oftentimes we are blind to the presence of God in the world, to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So perhaps we need an epiphany in the colloquial sense in order to really appreciate the epiphany in the biblical sense. So may God open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to behold the glorious and mysterious manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ with the Father and the Holy Spirit, lives and reigns, one God, world without end. Amen.